What we do here is go back, 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 back. So you're listening to this podcast is delicious. <laughs> what do you mean by so? What kind of person starts with a so as though there's been a bunch of other conversations happening and now you're like, so, by the way, what I'm trying to prove here is that you're, how about a hello? How about a nice hello for our guests? Huh? You're right. You're right. I, I start a lot of sentences with so for some reason. So you're, but you're right. You're right. I should start with Hello. I don't know if it's because I had to run out and bring the garbage and the recycling before the trucks came this morning. I was late on it. And so I ran out in shorts and a t-shirt and and that's just thrown my day. But hello and welcome. uh, Hello and welcome from me as well. I'm Ali Hassan. That's Marco Timpano that you just heard. He, uh, you know, I just figured it out because I'm looking at his beautiful face on a screen and it's, uh, it's shiny, it's glistening and it's lean. And I was going to ask him, what, what's what's going on? What's the secret? Turns out you take out your recycling and your garbage once in a while. You can lose a couple of pounds, I guess. I don't know. You look you look great. Yeah, especially if you're racing out there to get it on the curb before yeah. the truck comes and you can hear yeah. it coming and you can see them looking at you and your neighbors all are like, what is this guy wearing? Right. It's like, I just and woke with, up. With the lack of activity that you get on a normal day, I guess that is like pretty significant. So today you're, you know, how, like if you eat nothing. And then you eat something and your body just holds on to it because your body's like, I don't know when we're going to eat again. Yeah. Maybe your body's like that. The one time you get any exercise, your body's like, let's ma- let's hold on to all this exercise. It's so important because we don't know when we're ever going to exercise again. Fair enough. And to be fair, because we're recording this, you know, virtually, you're only seeing me from like my neck up, like my sternum up. Neck. So, it's a good you neck. know. Yeah, it's a good neck. I try. <laughs> it's a good try. Neck. Okay, but let's get to let's get to the topic I at think hand. So. I think people didn't tune in to uh, to hear about your neck today. Although, no, that's their that's their loss. Of course, what we're going to talk about is something that, um, well, it's it's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. Recently, in the hometown where we are, Marco and I are in Toronto. Recently, this is something that came home, and that made us remember the fact that. We should be talking about this to our global audience. We have listeners from everywhere. Let's talk about the Michelin star. Let's talk about this. We recently had, this has never happened before. Toronto has uh, a number of restaurants that have been awarded. Um, It's never happened in Canada. This is brand new Canada. But before we even think about talking about Canada, let's talk about a Michelin star. And we are bringing in an expert on the Michelin star today. And his name is Marco Tipano. It's you, you. buddy. You're you're our resident expert. You have a passion for this. You have an interest in this. And you have done a fair amount of uh, reading and research on what a Michelin star is. No Michelin star restaurant has ever allowed you into their premises. And maybe that's not true. That's not true. Okay, sorry. That's not true. Who has let you in? Tell me. You know, first of all, Ali, when people think of me, they think, oh, Marco, you know, this strong, handsome Italian guy, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I just want to (laughs) say... I just want to say that. I'm surprised you didn't negate that. Right. <laughs> I wanted you to have your moment. I Thank wanted you. you to have your moment. You. Michelin star, its home base is, you know, Michelin tires. That's where the Michelin star guide came out from, right? And Michelin's home base is in a town in France called Clermont-Ferrand, France. And that's where I have relatives. Everybody thinks, you know, this handsome, good-looking Italian guy, you know, I have family that lives in the town where this all started. And can you say the name of that town again? Clermont Ferrand. Okay, you don't pronounce the T, but anyway, that's pretty good. And also, uh, what I want to say is, uh, isn't it weird that it's not? I would have bet a hundred. I would have bet you a hundred bucks right now. If you said what is the name of the town, I would have said Michelin. 
Right. But it's no, not, it's named it after like the shuffling. tires, right? So back in the 1900s, when when cars were starting to be introduced, people were starting to get cars. Michelin Star made this guide for automobile travelers to explore and to encourage them to drive around. And here are that. some restaurants along the way so that they could sell tires. So you would like, you know, consume your tires, driving around France, checking out wow. these restaurants and whatnot. And then you would buy their tires. So right? for Americans, this would be like the AAA automotive dining guide or for Canadians, sure. the CAA dining guide yeah. that has just become a body of its own completely that we have now disassociated with the tires really, or hundred percent we have. Yeah. Well, there's certainly like, you don't think tires when you think Michelin star restaurants, <laughs> right? And, and nor should you based on yeah. what this star is uh, afforded for and what kind of work goes into. I mean, a lot of the chefs drive into work every day, I suppose. Sure. Uh, I mean, a lot what, of those... what tires do you have on your car right now? Uh, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say, but okay. they are, they are, Top notch, top okay. of the, and it's not that I don't have liberty to say. It's that I don't remember. I believe right. they're Blizzaks. Blizzax. I don't know who makes Blizz, Blizzak, but I have Blizzaks. I, I see. I see. Yeah. Listen, when you drive a sports car like yours, those Lamborghinis, yeah. that oh, yeah, I, I get. You need to have like. Really I know. Expensive well, I'm suffering. We recently had to put the top up. You know, it's not. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been easy at the Hassan house. Let me ask you this. What is a Michelin star? Because, you know, we talk about Michelin star on this podcast and people are, you know, have heard the term, but a lot of people don't even know what that means. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you that, but you can okay, ask sure. me that if you like as well. I, I mean, I, I know that it is a um, a star that, that signifies a certain level of uh, outstanding achievement. I, I want to say cooking, but but also a, a achievement in, uh, in, in cooking. Um, and why don't you tell me what, what are those, uh, what are these, these, these the, the criteria that go around it? Listen, you're not wrong. So Michelin star is a star system that Michelin puts out for restaurants that have sort of hit a sort of, um, spotlight in their culinary experience for the diner. And they look into five criteria, the quality of the ingredients used, the harmony of flavors, the mastery of those techniques the personality of the chef as expressed through their cuisine. Oh, wow. And uh, according to Michelin, and this is from their website, just as important consistency both across the entire menu over time. So you could have a stellar year, but if the following year it doesn't it doesn't meet their criteria, you'll lose that star or you'll be off their list. Okay, supposedly. so this is very interesting. Yeah. Ingredients, flavor. Yeah. Or harmony of flavors. You said sure. mastery of techniques, personality of the chef through the food, you said. Yeah. And then the consistency. Nowhere in there did you talk about um, uh, service. Yeah. Nowhere in there did you talk about decor. Yeah. And 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 nowhere uh, did you talk about um, uh, staff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and you're right, Ali. This is, this is something they don't take into consideration, right? Be but- as a restaurateur, a lot of your uh, money goes into the decor that you mentioned, the staffing, uh, you know, your front of house. We we often talk about front of house, back of house with restaurants, right? This, according to them, does not play into how they give the Michelin star, which I, in my personal opinion, I don't know if that's, if that's fair. 
I wonder if they do, but they just don't write it down. It's maybe something that's understood. I yeah. mean, okay, maybe I'm wrong, but let's get into this. Some of the Michelin sure. restaurants we'll talk about it at some point. Um, we'll see. Do they have? Are there a lot of sort of dive bar, non tablecloth, uh, having uh, you know lackadaisical staff having restaurants that still get a star because they have mastered techniques, flavor, and uh, and and personality and this kind of thing. Sure. Um, but let me ask you, who is doing this judging? First of all, that's also yeah. important. Like, who do we got to kiss up to? You know. So Not we we don't have a restaurant, but whoever who are the inspectors? According to Michelin. They have famously anonymous Michelin yes. inspectors, a full-time right. employees, a, a, a barn full who are former restaurant and hospitality professionals who make the decisions. Once uh, several inspectors have eaten in your establishment, they discuss their experience as a team in order to make a final decision. However, what's the accountability here? Does Michelin say, all right, your restaurant had five inspectors come in there? Or like, we don't know. There's no sort of, you know, like accountability for this. They say this, you want mm. to believe that more than one inspector went in there, but you never know. Right. And so it's kind of like, there should be a standard that every restaurant receives three inspectors or one inspector or whatever it is, that accountability is not there. And so we're just basing this on, Mich on Michelin's word. Right. Right. And I think uh, it bears mentioning that as we're recording this right now, World Cup 2022 is happening. So corruption is top of mind. Corruption, of course, being the reason why Italy, uh, your your people did yeah. not get into. I mean, it's not because of their skill. I mean, if, it can't be. It can't be, Mark. It can't be. So listen, it must be corruption. I'm Italian. So corruption is always in the back of my mind whenever I'm yes, examining absolutely. an issue, right? Exactly. We don't listen. we don't need the World Cup to uh, to highlight that. But it does it does get a feeling of like. Um, yeah, exactly. As you said, there's no accountability because they just sort of be like, well, we send out how many people we want. Yeah. They eat there as many times as we think they need to. Right. And then what about, um, so let me ask you, and then, then yeah, and they sure. can order, they can order anything, I guess they don't, they're not obliged to order the chef's uh, special or anything. They can order whatever they want, I guess. So this is, yeah, it's a weird, it's this weird club, um, that all I can hope for is it's a weird club that no outsider has access to. Yeah. And yeah, because then, uh, that's uh, corruption can happen, right? Like, if yes, you know, exactly. the anonymous part I'm supportive of, because I've worked in restaurants where um, crit food critics would come in and they'd be like, Marco, you serve them. That's a food critic. And we want to get, we, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to brag here, but they'd be like, can you serve them and make sure they get top notch service, which I, it always bothered me because it's like, no, I like to give the same sort of service to everyone exactly. despite what you do or what you wear or you're in the restaurant, you should get the same service. But a lot of restaurants, when they know that they have a special guest in, someone who might talk about the restaurant or a food critic, they go above and beyond what they would do for any other patron. And to exactly me, right. that's insincere. Yeah. That's not reflective of the that restaurant critic is not getting the experience of that restaurant. They are judging something unique to them. And the person who reads the review will go in and be like, Oh, I didn't share the same experience yeah. that that critic did. So yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's terrible. Um, who can qualify for this? Okay. So that's a great question. A lot of people think only the sort of upper echelons, the shishi restaurants, the yep. restaurants that already charge a fortune can apply, but that's actually not true. And I didn't know this. It's entirely, um, you know, 
it's entirely up to Michelin Guide to see who they're going to to, to see. And a lot of the, their sort of follow through on that is based on um, recommendations from mm. their the people who who you know read Michelin and and write into them, or restaurants actually reaching out too. So if you're a restaurant that you want to be considered for Michelin Guide, then maybe reach out to them and say, hey, when you were in town. I'm not sure if you got to check out our restaurant, but here are some reviews we got. Here's what we're thinking. Uh, would love to be considered. And can it be a pop-up? Can it be a food truck? Can it be any kind of uh, restaurant at all? Any Anybody who serves food can qualify for, for a star? That's a great question. So it does not have to be a formal restaurant. That's one of the misconceptions, according to uh, Michelin. They say here, this is simply not true. Uh, it's probable, you know, when they first came out 30 or 40 years ago, that they were only looking at, you know, the most successful restaurants with the, with the biggest chef name in those restaurants. But uh, that supposedly has all changed and you can be considered for a restaurant, even if you're a small little mom and pop shop. I wonder how much alcohol plays a role there, right? Because it's almost like an unfair thing when you have a place that is, you know, you hire a sommelier, you pay great attention to complementary flavors and pairings and um, terroir, right? If you've ever had some serious wine conversations with a sommelier, they're talking about hints of something in a wine because of not just region, but hyper region. Like this is beside, this is beside a highway in Normandy. So you can, you can taste the diesel fumes and that's why this dish, you know, what I'm obviously making a joke here, but yeah. Um, You have to wonder that, you know, when someone has an, an alcohol pairing of some kind that puts them in an advantage versus I, like I, I, you know, kind of jokingly mentioned a food truck, but, but I don't know if you can seriously take, you know, if you can take one of those restaurants seriously that are just like, yeah, we make the best meatball sandwich yeah. in the back of our deli. Also different countries have different sort of restrictions with regards to, um, alcohol that can be served in their facility. So, you know, for mm. example, you have to jump through a lot of hoops in Canada to be able to do that, but other countries you don't, or there's countries where alcohol is not, you know, consumed and therefore you're, uh, less likely to find it in a restaurant. Right. So Michelin is intentionally vague here, I think. So when asked, do you take into consider consideration the wine list? They respond with restaurants that are serious about their food tend to also ensure that they have an interesting wine list to complement it. So uh, that amazing. element usually takes care of itself. I call bullshit on this. Wait, wow. is that you saying that no, that's element? A, that's no, them that's, saying that was them saying it. Those are, I'm taking that out of Michelin's mouth from their website, okay? Oh, nice. so, so my feeling is this. Yes, wine and alcohol plays an important part in a lot of restaurants and they dedicate a lot of square footage to just housing the wine bottles alone, right? So if I'm a restaurant that 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 pays a lot of attention to that, I'm going to want it considered. But to your point, Ali, what if you're a restaurant, that's my pen shaking, uh, what if you're a restaurant that, you know, can't provide alcohol or can't have a, a large and extensive wine list or you know, maybe your cuisine is not always reflected of You're of in wine. Malaysia, you have a, a predominantly Muslim, um, you know, a clientele, sure. you're in a Muslim country. These things will play a role as well. Yeah. Is that fair? Is that fair that your counterpart, you know, 
In France, they look at the wine list that's included. Sure. But if you're in another country, like so that's where I think they're intentionally vague and it's like, uh, you know, you're not you're not letting us know your criteria. You're not you're yeah. saying, yeah, most restaurants we look at do uh value that and provide it. Mm. In their defense, Marco, in yeah. their defense, if they let us know their criteria, we would jump on them in a second you're and right. hate all of it. And you're then right. that so they're protecting themselves. Like yeah. I'm, am I you know like anything, this is an old boys club, I'm sure. That's yes. when it started, right? It's, uh, what is it, 30, 40 years old? Or it's more than that. It's uh, I, Mr. I, been around a lot. Uh, I want to say time. 1910 is when they first came out. Okay. So uh, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. Okay. Let's say we're in the in the neighborhood of a century old. It's an old white boys club. And uh, it's also, you know, probably culturally speaking, a little bit. Um, you know, less diverse. May, they might be making inroads there. But again, with no accountability, what do we know? They're not under any obligation to have people who understand other cultures and other cuisines necessarily. They started in white French cuisine, notoriously sort of, you know, yeah. narcissistic, uh, kind of like French is the best. Why would we eat anything else? They've done the the work of going outside of Europe, which is uh, terrific, but I'm sure it's like a very very slow change. I'm basing this on nothing except every other experience I've had with every other ex uh, institution and organization. That's I all. think it's safe to say that when it was first published in the 19 in 1900, um, they didn't have any Afro Franco, uh, inspectors on their list, right? The star yeah. system started in 1926 in France. So once again, I, I have a feeling that there wasn't a lot of, uh, diversity in, in those inspectors. And as we see, um, in France, there tends to be a slower, a slower adopt adoption of that kind of system. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. So, um, let's go back to saying good things about okay. uh, the Michelin system. Sure, sure. A good thing. I just wanted to ask about the stars. Most people who know Michelin yeah. will know there's a one star, two star, three stars. What what are they very clear about that? About what? Yeah. What does you... that mean? Right. Like I. For me, you say Michelin three star, so I'm like, oh, three stars better than one star, so this is probably the best of the best, right? But what do those? How? how do, let's unpack what each star means. All right. Um, so the one Michelin star, it's awarded to restaurants using top quality ingredients. I would hope so, where their dishes are featured with distinct flavors and are prepped to a consistently high standard. That's what they say. So then, what what distinguishes that? You would you would imagine that would be true for all their Michelin restaurants, right? So let's unpack what a two-star Michelin means. Two stars, and this is their words, are awarded when the personality and the talent of the chef are evident in their expertly craft dishes. Their food is refined and inspired. Now, refined and inspired, what does that mean? To me, that has elements of, of snobbery, uh, expensive food. You have a chef a well-known chef who's preparing the dishes, right? Yeah. I mean, I have, I must say when you said just now, you said yeah. the personality of the chef is evident in their dish. Yeah. A lot of chefs are sad and angry. I yeah. mean, I'm not sure if that's what I want to taste. So I don't, I think there's a lot of like pretend going on there too, right? There's a chef who's acting like they are something that they're not and pushing that personality through, but deep down uh, you're just be thankful sometimes you're not getting the personality of the chef in the food. What does that mean? There's a lot of chefs, and this is a problem in in this area of, of culinary experience, that have problems with addiction and alcoholism. Yeah. Is that one of the things that are, are coming through in their in their cuisine? I've worked with a lot of chefs who've who've had to go get sobered up, who've 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 been inebriated, uh 
on the job, right? Sure. Well-known chefs, people who are well-respected, right? And like you said, I've worked with a lot of mean and miserable chefs, right? Is that what's evident in their food? Am I eating a mean and miserable dish? Uh, you know, so I don't know what that means. I wish there was a, a clearer definition of it because this can mean so much and this can really be altered to whatever they want to, how, however they want to say it. And and doesn't mean if you have a name, you know, you're going to get on this list. Yeah. All right. Third star. What is, right. where do we go from refined, inspired, snobby? What's the next All thing? Right. So this is their highest award. So let me ask you this, Ali, what would, when you look at a restaurant, if you could pick one or two things that, that you would consider in the most upper echelons of cuisine, of dining that you like to experience, what yeah. would that be? And let's see where Michelin is. Uh, on that, what did what do I like to experience? Well, what would you what would separate to you a great restaurant and the best restaurant? You know uh, what would separate it yeah. is something that they don't uh, uh, supposedly put any uh, any credence in, which is service. Oh, I mean, okay. when I've been to when I've been to a restaurant and the service is before you can even think that you may need some water, water is there. Yeah. Uh, before you even raise your hand to ask for something, you're just turning your head and they're there. That kind of thing really is like, God, these guys are just acutely, uh, uh, in, in, in line with everything that's happening here. You know, and I haven't had a ton of fine dining experiences, sure. but for me, the ones that are the best and the most memorable are the ones where that service is incredible from the staff. And also there's one other element yeah. where they're never in the way. Okay. They're never in the way. They find a way. It's this graceful dance of like the food comes and no matter what you're doing, your mid-conversation, the food comes and they just know how to sort of get around you without yeah. being in the way. There's no risk of anything dropping and you're also not left wondering, you know, is that guy high? Right. Uh, what, what are those two people talking about? Are they talking about something that went wrong with the meal? Right. right? It's just flawless. And they are, they're basically robots. I hate to say it that way, but they're basically incredibly well-designed robots. Uh, that's what sets it apart. And that's not even on the Michelin list. So I don't yeah. know what to tell you. I don't know it, what three stars would be. Your answer is fascinating to me because for you, quality of food is a given, and that's not what's going to uh, interfere with what you see as the best or better for you. If the quality of food is good, then yeah. it's good, right? What makes the difference is the service, how comfortable you are. I bet seating, music, things like that, things that you haven't even touched upon that are just kind of sure. background elements would also influence you uh, in, in what makes what goes from good to great. But for you, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, the expectation that the food is going to be solid is going to is not going to be a differentiator between right. good and best. I've been right? to a few places where the chefs go above and beyond in sure. terms of presentation. And that's beautiful. However, you know, and I know that they're using molecular gastronomy at its best. They're freeze drying things, you know, so you get this incredible dessert that has these free, free, you know, frozen uh, melon balls. And it's like, you know, room temperature inside, but frozen on the yeah. inside. And that's great. But it's so small that it doesn't lend any flavor. Yep. And you're like, okay, this was really just for show. And the same thing with some of the dishes, you know, Sometimes you know how there's they sort of dot the plate beautifully, artistically, just a few three dots yeah. of some kind of you know, uh, let's say like a, a a green chimichurri, but it's only a dime, size of a dime in your plate. Then some other tamarind thing. Then a th and I often find myself saying, I loved all three of those flavors, 
uh, but I barely got any of them. I just got kind of hints and maybe that's the point. They're left sure. wanting more. So sometimes fine dining, I feel, is so elevated and so fussy that then the flavor is kind of compromised. And so, yeah, flavor is like, that's a tricky one. Whereas service, I feel, is more like pretty undeniable. Everybody right. knows when they've had great right. service. I will say this to sort of support my, um, you know, peers and friends who work in the service industry who are servers. I wouldn't say it's actually about being a robot. It's actually an art. And there's an interpretation there that the waiter has to do uh, to understand the guest and the flow of the food and the restaurants and the anticipation. It's There's a lot of sort of um, innate sort of touch and feel that that server has to have with what's going on for that Absolutely. particular table. And so, I should retract my own. Yeah. When I say robot, I only meant when they're standing, you know, sometimes you're there's like a lot of conversation happening between staff and you feel like you're interrupting the conversation. Hey, sorry to bother you, right. even though I thought I was the customer here, but can I, you know, um, and that doesn't bother me most of the time, but at a fine dining restaurant, it does. Once you're paying a certain amount, sure. You're like, hey, I wonder if, wonder if I could get some attention here. Cause I, right. I am paying 280 mm -hmm. bucks for this meal or whatever it is, you know, um, the robot part is just like, they are not getting into any conversations sure. with each other. They're not, they're just very stoic, but as far as their moves, there's right. nothing robotic about that. That is, as you say, an art. Yeah. yeah and, it's a, uh, tell your, call your robots off. Okay. Yeah. Marco, what I'm call hearing your robot dogs off. I don't want to be attacked. Listen, I'm, I'm trying to cover. I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> save your back there. To me, it sounds like focus is what's important to you oh, rather yeah. than robot. You're not looking for a sex robot. You're looking for someone who's going to focus on you and your guests at the table. All right. Now wow. just, I'm not sure why sex robot even had to come into the conversation, but yeah, yeah. Focus is the key. All right. So just so I can give uh, Michelin's three, three star uh, definition, oh, yeah. they say that their stars, their three star, their three Michelin star is their highest award given to the superlative cooking of chef chefs at the peak of their profession. I'm going to get back to that in a second. Mm -hmm. Their cooking is elevated to an art form and some of their dishes are destined to become classics. Yeah. I take issue with this chefs at the peak of their profession. To me, that suggests, what does that mean? Is that young chefs or is that chefs from let's say 30 to 45? And then once they hit 50, they're no longer at the peak because they're too old to move as quickly as their younger counterparts. To me, there's some ageism written in there um, or not written in there, but like subtly in there that one can interpret. And you don't know when a, uh, a dish is, considered a classic until after it becomes a classic. So what does that mean? Does that mean I go to the restaurant that, you know, created uh, the tiramisu, let's say in the eighties in Italy. And, and because that's a classic, they get the third star. I, I want to know what that means. Cause once again, that sounds extremely vague to me. And it sounds to me like, once again, a, a chef that has a name, a chef that's kind of like, you know, the in chef at the peak of their profession that's the restaurant that's going to get the three star. And I don't know if I, I don't know if that sits well with me. Well, in the words of the Michelin people, it's none of your business. Fair. Uh, I mean, that's what it feels like that they would say to you. Um, so, I do know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're not giving these things away for free. That's, no. that's for, that's for sure. I, and, and what I wanted to know was you can't just be awarded a three star Without having a two and a first, is it a uh, you need to have seen the uh, the sequels before you? I mean the the, the prequels before you get the. Uh... 
I don't know if that's true. I didn't see that on their website, to be honest with you. Uh, I think you can you can earn a two star and not have even a not have had a first. I think I think once again I don't want to be putting words in Michelin's mouth. Nobody wants to do that. uh, I did call you an expert at the beginning, but sorry, that's the one area. Of course, the one thing I didn't look at. You're the one (laughs) uh, bringing forward. It's like there's a million things you could ask me about Michelin. That's what you want to know. That's what you want to know. Okay, you better know about it. Sure, it's uh, there are some other awards that Michelin has as well that are not just the stars, and I only know that because I. I was reading about yep. these these stars awarded in uh, Toronto. What are those? Can you tell okay, us about so that? this is the area that I'm actually I actually look forward to. So this is where where for me Michelin is like okay here's here's where Marco's like I'm I'm cool with this. I'm actually really excited about this. Yeah. So there's two other st- there's two other designations that are not actual Michelin stars but that Michelin looks at and gives them this sort of nod. Okay, and one is called. The Bib Gourmand, and I don't know if I said that right. I'm sure you're going to. Of course uh, you didn't. Of course uh, you didn't. Get why it. would yeah. you? Why would you start now pronouncing things properly in French? Gourmand. Uh, you don't. Gourmand. There's no D. Gourmand. You don't pronounce the D. Listen, yeah. If you you're put it, D- then it's uh, Gourmando. You're always trying right. to make it closer to Italian. It's just Gourmand. Okay, yeah, the Bib okay. Gourmand. It's their award for great value, and it highlights, according to them, simple yet skillful cooking at an affordable price. Yeah, that's my people. Huh? They're, I like they're, that. They're still looking for a high standard of cooking, uh, but they're looking at value simple yet skillful cooking. And for me, that's what I love best at restaurants. Because like you said, you could put a dot of some, you know, hundred year old balsamic with a little bit of raspberry sauce that I have to drag my fork through with the cod that was caught off the coast of Scotland by blind nuns or whatever. And that's fine. And I'll enjoy that. But show me a consistent chef that can give me value for money. And that to me is a skill and an art form in itself. So the Bib Gourmand for me is one of the things I would look at with regards to the Michelin guide. And a lot of people don't know about it. They don't know about the guide. No, they, they don't, don't know about that the, element. The Bib, the, yeah, that element. They yeah. think Michelin one, Michelin two, Michelin star, Michelin three, uh, but they don't, they don't think, oh, what's this Bib Gourmand? And we're well, here to so- bring, bring attention to that. And, and we are because, in fact, I did not know about the Bib Gourmand. And I've been reading food magazines since I was a teenager. I've been subscribing. There was a time where I was subscribing to four different magazines. Mm-hmm. Food has been an incredibly huge part of my life. And I would have thought I know a fair amount about Michelin, but only when they came to Toronto, which is just last year. 74 Toronto restaurants have been recognized with a Michelin star. 17 uh, of those have uh, Bib, are Bib Gourmand restaurants. Yeah. And um, I did not know about the word bib, so I, I had to look it up, and that's the only reason I uh, I know what I know now. Now, that what does and, what does bib mean in in French? I'm 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 thinking a bib that you put around your neck, right? Bib gourmand. I, that's the only bib no. I know. Okay. That's right. the but but it's not it's not a baby's bib. It's a bib for the gourmand. Yeah, but you're still wearing a bib, which suggests yeah. you know you're not you're not in one of those fine fine dining restaurants. I also want to point out, and not to correct you, my friend, they have also awarded some Michelin stars in Vancouver too. So the two cities that are getting Michelin stars right now, yeah, we're we're talking about Toronto because that was the first, but they're rolling out uh, other cities, which I also have a problem with. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but I want to, I want to mention the other rating system. I don't know if you were going to get to that. I apologize if I- No, do go ahead. I don't know about it actually. So along with the Bib Gourmet, another, or Gourmand, the other thing that they look at is- what they call the green star. So that's their newest award. And this is something I'm also excited about. They introduced this in 2020 
in the in the France Michelin Guide, and I believe this is coming forward in all their Michelin guides. It's a feature that in every country is looking at. Uh, yeah, so they're looking at it in every country. It's an award that restaurants are given if they are role models when it comes to sub- sustainable gastronomy. So you know we've, we're seeing a lot more of these restaurants that are using every every part of the animal, or they're using uh, not just the carrot, but the stem and the, you know, all parts of it, right? How do they make sustainable eating a part of their restaurant experience? And for me, I would eat at a green star just knowing that the the restaurant's doing things like that. I love it. Okay. That's great. I didn't know. Do we have any, I don't think there are any green stars in Toronto, right? I haven't seen this about, uh, you know, I went, that's another thing. That's another place I take issue with um, Michelin, Michelin's uh, online system. They, uh, it's great that they feature the restaurants on their Michelin.com, but I find it hard to distinguish who falls in what. They have a little sort of, you know, the Michelin man face for the bib gourmand, but they, I didn't see anything with the green, the green star. So I was having, I, it was difficult for me to see exactly the, the designation they gave to the restaurants that are on their list. I'll say that okay. that's one, one lament I have. Okay. Um, if we know you and we do, that's yeah. not your only lament. One, no. la- one lament I have suggested that it is the one there's no way. No, it's true. I actually do want to get to one other thing that w- yeah. we both decided we wanted to talk about today, which was, you know, like with FIFA, like with the yeah. Olympics, like with yeah. these organizations, these old school organizations, there is always a, uh, a, a dark underbelly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that not a lot of people know about. And I, you know, we're not exposing anything that is new or, or, or not out there. I don't think we're going to, um, you know, be, uh, be, be saying anything out of school. This is information that's out there, but definitely not stuff that everybody knows about. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit of the, the dark side of the Michelin guide. There are, you know, if you've seen restaurants like burnt, for example, which I recommend, I recommend anything with, um, with Bradley Cooper, to be quite sure. honest, uh, that might be biased and uh, my own um, latent homosexuality and and, and what what I, my feelings for Bradley Cooper's. I support. Be, but I also that. feel like I feel like the work he puts into every role is fantastic. Burnt is an interesting movie, and there's of course so many movies with um with food themes, but but Burnt is great because you do get into the sort of the pressure cooker of sure. like what that stress must be like to maintain that star because you know damn well yeah that. It's very hard to get the star, but it's it's even harder to keep the star. And there's more to lose once you lose a star because right. it's like, oh, we should go here. And everyone goes, oh, no, not that place. They used to have a Michelin star. So you never want to be the place that you used to have used a Michelin, to have star. A Michelin so star. Yeah, You're just always better, more, more, better, better, Indeed. faster, hard, right? And it's just uh, not faster and harder, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You just, now I turn them into athletes, but yes, you're just performing sex almost, robots. Yeah. sex robots performing at a level that's, uh, you know, uh, almost, uh, almost, uh, you know, superhuman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, doing the research on Michelin, we, we dug up some of that dark side that you're talking about. And a lot of this is from mashed.com in case you want to look more into it, delve deeper, but we've delved in there for you. Right. So this is kind of like, you're going to get a lot of things. One of the things that I found fascinating was, and it's always a whistleblower, right. That sort of gives you that pulls the curtain so you can see what's really going on. So there was a Michelin, Michelin inspector. So one of those guys that goes to restaurants, one of those people, I should say, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, uh, you know, they're, they're um, predominantly men, but, uh, you know, this inspector, Pascal Remy was fired and he went public 
with regards to some of the, uh, you know, things that are happening behind the scene. They were an inspector in France and they uh, reviewed more than 10,000 restaurants uh, or they said that there was more than 10,000 restaurants that theoretically were up for review. And he says there were only five inspectors. Five inspectors in all of France yeah. for 10,000 yeah. supposedly possible reviewable restaurants. Yeah. Mm. And even though the Michelin Guide revises reviews and ratings on a yearly basis, Pascal said that they absolutely do not visit the restaurants they're reviewing each year. So that it just kind of rolls over to the following year. Oh, yeah. Oh, sons of guns. They also right. claimed that there were some top tier restaurants deemed untouchable. I mean, no matter how far they slid off the criteria that Michelin uses, they would always keep their three stars, no, my friend. No, and haven't that- they seen Burnt? Haven't they seen Bradley per- Cooper's performance in Burnt? Come on, you can't keep the star. Right, right. And then he went on to say that there are about a third of the Michelin three-star restaurants no, which no longer meet that criteria. And that's and that's pretty, you know, a third. And uh, I do want to say as a disclaimer, Michelin contested most of these claims. Uh, that's what Wine Spectre says. But for the most part, Michelin has kept pretty silent on this. So they while they did, they contested it. I don't know, man. It feels, it, you can certainly sense that maybe that is the case, that they don't have enough inspectors and that, you know, there's going to be some chefs that have a name that can that can really damage Michelin um, who retain the stars no matter what. Right. And there's also, a, you know, um, I don't think uh, I've seen any movie based on this, but um, you looked up uh, Chef Bernard Loiseau as well, right? In 2003, his case... And I'm sure this is what gives rise to these stories. And this is the pressure cooker environment yeah. that I was um, referring to. But his uh, his suicide, this chef in France, yeah. was uh, was linked to the, um, the the ratings he got in the Michelin Guide, and then another gu- uh, guide called the Gomilo. Yeah. So uh, Gomilo is an it's it's France only. It's a French yeah. um, restaurant guide. Uh, that, that, that's yeah, a little it's bit younger, but it's yeah, really. It's really sad. You know, you've said this many times on the podcast where, you know, there's a lot that rests on a chef's shoulders. There's a lot of pressure. The the heat alone from being in a kitchen can raise your blood pressure. And then just trying to get the food out, making sure your customers are happy, making sure that you hit food costs, making sure that your, your vision comes forward. Like there's so much that goes on. So imagine the pressure of either retaining your stars or, you know, trying to get that validation uh, from something as arbitrary as the Michelin inspector, of which there's five in, in France, supposedly, right? This has, this has led to a lot of people believing that some chefs have taken their own, sadly taken their own lives. Yeah, yeah, he's not the only case. No. There's another guy, Benoit Violet, Violier, and uh, a few others who have done that. And of course, it's the French names that come up. That's where Michelin is, you know, valued the most. That's where it started. And then there's something called the Michelin Curse. You read yeah. about that? What's that? What's okay. the story on that? So, and this is something that I believe Anthony Bourdain talked about, right? When you focus attention on a restaurant and that restaurant can no longer support what the outcome of it, of that is. So, you know, it's like when you get that Michelin star, it's like you're the you're the prime focus of people and that and that's not always a good thing. So, if we take into account this one there's a couple of incidents I want to highlight. So, Jay Fay was a 17-year-old a 72-year-old chef who became the world's first 
Michelin starred street food chef. Okay. Mm. So she says that after the award, she not only became the target of government auditors, but she and her staff struggled daily to keep crowds of customers happy. Now, picture this, Ali, a street food chef, and all of a sudden throngs of people are coming. Those crowds caused problems in that neighborhood. So her neighbors are now all upset with them. And, you know, the hate turned to quiet resentment from their neighborhood, and no one is happy at this point, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the things. Then you have, you know, a post Michelin star chaos that happened to Sky. I hope I say this right. Jigel um, caused them to quit because she was tired of hearing her small, super casual London cafe wasn't what customers were expecting because they saw Michelin star and they thought, right. oh, this is going to be a very elevated, you know, refined uh, experience. And it was a casual restaurant and they quit. They quit because of the Michelin star. And yeah. just to highlight one other one, um, you know, when Michelin star expanded into Hong Kong, restaurants who were honored suddenly found their rents raised as much as 120%, crippling the restaurant and forcing them to either re relocate or close. So the Michelin star actually killed some restaurants in Hong Kong. Right. I mean, that's the greed of the landlords, obviously, because they yeah. saw that a restaurant in one of their properties was honored with a star. And so they're like, okay, well, they're going to make money. Why shouldn't we make money? And then they, um, yeah, they screwed over the restaurants to the point of. Don't tell me you'd be surprised if that happened in Toronto where oh. rent is already such a barrier to access for uh, people who want to get in the restaurant game. So you're yeah. finding a lot of these sort of uh, conglomerates or these like uh, restaurateurs or who already have three or four restaurants opening up restaurants, not giving way to other people who want to bring their cuisine to the city. Right. It's really a disservice to the people who live in that city when this happens. Sure. Uh, there's another element. Uh, these are basically my heroes. I yeah. mean, not to say the people who were, you know, I'm sure this, this Thai chef you were talking about, the, the, the 72 year old, the yeah. street chef, yeah. she wasn't asking for a Michelin star and, and neither was the uh, chef uh, who you mentioned at this small London cafe. She wasn't expecting it. Right. You get it. And now your life and your, you know, your, what you have is out of your control. And, um, so, you know, that's, that's by no means their fault, but my heroes are like chef Marco Pierre white, who sure. many people, if you know, the food world, you know, that he is renowned both for his personality, for being like, um, extremely, extremely, um, high achieving, a, a role model for many other internationally sure. re re renowned chefs. He gave back his, uh, his Michelin rating. Yeah. So he was, he was pretty young when he got one at a restaurant, you know, named after him. It was yeah. called uh, Marco Pierre white. He was given three stars and he gave them back, but I mean, five years later, not immediately. Right. I should mention sure. that. And, um, what he said at the point was at that point was that he was watching people with much less knowledge than him. I don't know if he means experience or right. like, also getting three stars. And he was like, oh, this is meaningless. Now yeah. I can't help but think there's something else there too, based on what sure. we talked about. Sure. Maybe he's like, I don't want the pressure. And I also say that because there was a chef in Paris, mm -hmm. Alain Senderens, and Alain Senderens uh, gave back his stars and said, um, I feel like having fun. And uh, clearly, he, I don't have a quote from him saying that, but the suggestion is the stars are no longer fun. It's taking right. the fun out of the restaurant. Now you all of a sudden you're you're working to feed the star or that sort of uh, connotation of what a star brings to the to the patron who comes in there who comes in thinking oh I'm going to get this Michelin star experience right yeah 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 and uh, another chef Sebastien Bra uh, in 2017 and I remember this because it was on CNN yeah 
he was saying that I'm requesting that my uh, my name, my restaurant be left out of the guide. Uh, yeah. And he said, my family and my staff don't want the pressure. And I thought that was very interesting to add your family because when you are a selfish consumer, at no point are you thinking of the chef's family. Right. You're just not doing that. Yeah. And so I think it's great for him to have sort of mentioned that my family doesn't need that pressure. In other words, uh, I think my children would like to have their father a little bit more. Sure. And you you live and breathe the the restaurant. Once you have a star, you can't you can't let go at all of you, any of the, although, as you said, some of them are getting three stars anyway, you mm-hmm. know, but, uh, but yeah, you don't know that you're not, yeah. you don't, you have no idea that you're the guy who's going to be renewed your three stars just because you don't know you're going to be one of the untouchables. Indeed. Indeed. So, you know, like there's a lot of, a lot of aspects of Michelin star that are dark that people don't realize. And, you know, I also think who, like, I, I question who's coming to judge the restaurants in our country. Are we having French inspectors come here to judge? Because they don't get our food. You know, there's going to be some things that that might not make sense to them that they'll have issues with where we're like, no, no, that's how we roll. And we've talked about things like that on the podcast. For example, the Bloody Caesar. It's a drink that Canadians love. South of the border, you mentioned Clamato's juice and they, they're they ready to retch, right? And it's like, no, no, that's that's our palate. That's the way we roll. You know, poutine, for example, you know. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA here in Canada. And it's starting to work its way to other parts of the world. But you talk to some people and you're like, you're putting cheese curds and gravy on fries. Talk to a Belgian about that. They'll probably have a problem. I don't want that Belgian inspector coming here and judging our restaurants. So, you know, that's that's something I have questions about. Sure. You know, I also want to know what does what does Michelin do for these restaurants once they put them on their list? Do they help? deal with, you know, these, these throngs of crowd that are coming or do they, do they say to the chefs, Hey, you're a small restaurant. If we give you a star, this might happen. Do you want us to give you the star? They don't, they don't give the power to the restaurant tour. They just right. put out their list and whatever, once they're done, they wash their hands in it. Right. So I got problems with things like that. No, absolutely. And uh, there's a, a, a final thing I wanted to talk about because sure. I talk about this in my in my class when I talk about comedy. Yeah. I teach stand-up comedy and I talk about this element of like, you don't know what, you know, when you are, I, I'm talking about sexism here. When you don't, sure. you know, Johnny Carson hosted The Tonight Show for many years. Mm-hmm. He did not have a, a preference for female comedians. There was a couple he liked, obviously Joan Rivers, he was a big fan of. And a few others, but you had to be able to play ball. You had couldn't be like super confident. You couldn't be like a, a certain type of woman. And so what happens then is that the bookers for Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, and, and that was the gold standard, right? Everybody wanted to be on yeah. the Tonight Show. The bookers would say to the comedy store in LA, we want uh, a show. Uh, we're going to come in, put 13, 14 comedians up and uh, send us the list. And we'll, we'll tell you what we think. Mm-hmm. And if they see women on the list, they would say, nah, Johnny doesn't really like women. Yeah. So let's, let's not waste anybody's time. So now you have these all male shows that became the norm. Mm. So women then had to start female only shows in like a smaller room or like they had to have a gay night with gays and women sure. together. And what that does is the effect of that. And this is written about by somebody named Yale Cohen, uh, K O H E N. She talked about how, 
to this day, you see the effects of that women yeah. getting their own sitcoms. Think about if it was 50% of the time women, 50% of the time men, what yeah. that would have done for the environment today for women in comedy in that industry. Sure. The same thing applies in, uh, in, in the world of food. So people now would be like, well, there's just, there's more male head chefs than female head chefs. Yeah, there are. And why is that? Right. Because of places like the Michelin star guide that value male chefs. So like there, there's been a number of years in 2016 in New York city, you know, people were very quick to point out that none of the chefs, none of the work, none of the restaurants were headed by, by female chefs. Yeah. Um, and it's been a constant thing. And, and that's probably because of what I said right at the beginning, it's an old boys club. Yeah. And when you have an old boys club, probably white, they are going to focus on other white male chefs who, you know, they, 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 they see the, in themselves, whatever the case is, uh, they may not take, take a chance on a female. They may not. So right. it's just like a thing that is, this to me is the biggest problem going back to what you said, when yeah. you have no accountability, you also aren't forced to improve accountability forces you many cases, not always, but many cases to be uh, accountable for your behavior, your, you know, your, your, the, 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 the whatever you want to call it, the democratic sure. makeup, the diversity inside uh, of your organization, all that kind of stuff. If nobody's asking any questions, um, nobody's going to change what they do. So that's a huge issue for Michelin. I will say, you know, this Michelin bib, this Michelin green yes. award that you talked about worth exploring. Indeed. You know, like the Michelin bib in Toronto, one of the restaurants is a taco restaurant, right? Yeah. So it's like you can go and support somebody who's obviously smaller, who's obviously uh, still has a passion for the food and you can do that. Um, but the Michelin stars, I would uh, I would take them with a grain of salt personally. Yeah. I, I also have a fundamental problem with Michelin coming to Canada in the way that they did. What what they did was they they rolled out the Michelin star restaurants in Toronto and then in Vancouver. And the reason I have a problem with that is because you 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 end up making resentment of chefs within the own in our own nation. So, for example, because you rolled out Toronto and you rolled out Vancouver, then you've got places like Ottawa, Montreal saying, what's this all about? Why are Toronto and Vancouver chefs singled out and we aren't? And that's because of how Michelin rolled it out. So I'm sure there's yeah. going to be a, a, a Quebec City, a Montreal, uh, Ottawa uh, rollout of Michelin stars, but you didn't do it at the same time. So what that happens is is that all of a sudden Toronto becomes this focus of like, oh, why does Toronto and Vancouver think they're so special? We did nothing to do that. Yeah. But Michelin star is making that uh, that perception happen. And yeah. so you're going to have a, a sense of resentment amongst the community of Canadian chefs and cooks, which shouldn't be there. We should actually be a united front uh, to say, our food is fantastic. Come to any of our cities and you'll find fantastic food and we support one another. But what you're doing here, Michelin, and I, and I, I don't believe is intentional, but what you're doing by rolling it out in that way is you're really causing resentment, which should not be there. That's my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and I, I want to mention that, you yes, know, uh, uh, Johnny Carson was a supporter of Joan Rivers until he wasn't. And then right. he, he blackballed her and ghosted her. So I just want to. Correct that as well. Yeah, correct. Uh, that's yeah. what I, I think I suggested for a time. Yeah, for a time. But I just wanted to highlight that in case people. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, exactly. a lot of people don't know who Johnny Carson is, and a lot of people don't know who, know uh, who Joan, Joan Rivers, Rivers is. Yeah, Mara yeah. might know Joan over yeah. over Johnny, but yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That's it. That's Good it, my friend. Wow. Well, we're talking about Michelin. Never even pronounced it in its French, Michelin, no. but that's all right. Um, did not know about the tires. Yeah. Did not know about a number of things that you uh, you had looked up. Definitely knew about the sexism and the, yeah. part of the, uh, the the dark underbelly. But, you know, take it for what it's worth. Yeah. You're, you're better off knowing everything that surrounds it. And obviously, Marco and I have opinions about it, which we, which we share. Uh, you're free to, you know, take a little bit off of that opinion or not, you know, whatever you, uh, whatever you feel like. But I think, um, we unpack this as best we, we could for, the, for yeah. the listener. I hope, I hope we, we gave you perspectives that maybe you weren't aware of. We'd love to hear what you have to say. So, you know, or reach out on social media or let us know what you think. If, if we got something wrong, of course we'll correct it, but sure. uh, we've read a Michelin restaurant that's really blown your mind. Let us know. Cause sometimes it's like, Oh, Michelin, this Michelin, that. And then you try one bite of food and you're like, okay, Michelin knows what it's talking yeah. about. Right. That can yeah. also change everything depending on how, uh, how the food treats your your body and soul. So uh, always love to hear from you, yep. Marco. Let's uh, let's give people the information where they can reach us. You can find us on all social media platforms except for TikTok and some of them that we're not on. At you know, just type in this podcast is delicious. You'll find us. Um, some some require less words than uh, or less letters than this podcast is delicious. But if you type that in, you'll find us on social medias like Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, Facebook. That's the way to do it. All right. We'll hear from you uh, very soon, I'm sure. And you will hear from us very soon. We're ramping up for the holidays. We're going to have a special guest very soon on an upcoming episode. And uh, and we're going to see you off. We'll take a little break uh, for the holidays. Yeah. We'll, have a, we'll have a final you know, holiday episode. But then we will uh, we'll take a little break. We hope you take a little break. And um, yeah, I wanted to mention, Marco, yes, I don't please. know. You, we've, um, your book is... Um, you know, for, for people who are in the world of podcasting, yes. your book is 25 things I wish I knew before I started podcasting. Yes. Right. You look up Marco T Timpano's book as people are looking for gifts. Uh, that is a terrific one because God knows one in three people in your life are going to start a podcast. Of course, so of course. get this in their hands before they do that. And um, if you're looking for a stocking stuffer or the gift that, you know, the person has everything, what they don't have yet is is There Bacon in Heaven, written by Ali Hassan. And I just That's have to me. highlight your book because it has also, and I know that you're a little bit shy about saying things like this, but it's on the 100 best books that you're supposed to get from uh, Indigo Chapters, which is our version of Barnes and Nobles from the United yeah. States. Uh, people have been putting on their list. My wife subscribes to a million magazines. And as I turn the page, your book is on there. When I go into... Uh, bookstores across the country. Your book is featured on the wall of books to get or recommendation by the staff. Um, you know, I'm diving into your book. It's fantastic. I'm learning things about you. You're a lot nicer in the book than I've experienced. So I'm really excited to experience <laughs> to get to know that person. Yeah, yeah. Get to know that guy. You'll like that guy. You'll like that guy a ton. Thank you, Marco. Yeah. I appreciate that. I do. I, I must say it's something I'm very, very proud of. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the pride you felt about your book, having mm. something out there. It's part of your legacy. You know, it's part of like uh, who you are, something you can leave behind. Even if you're not here, it's something that lives on. And I, I feel the same way about the book. It was a love letter to my children. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm very happy it's out there and people are connecting with can it. Can I ask you this? And yes. I want to give our listeners an exclusive. Will there be an audiobook version of this book coming out? And I don't Listen. know if you're allowed to say or not, but tell us anyways. We don't know. Audiobooks cost a lot of money. Okay. So 
based on the sales of this okay. book, there will or will not be an audiobook. So I encourage our friends in the US, yes. you can just head to um you know, uh, Simon and Schuster, yeah, you look up Simon and Schuster.ca, yeah. you'll find my book, but then you'll see it's available on Barnes and Noble, through Amazon, through all these other, yeah. uh, you know, online services. Uh, ask your local bookstore to, to carry it. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're a book, uh, bookstore person and in Canada, it's available everywhere that you get books. And then, uh, the other thing you do is you write to Simon Schuster and say yeah. this should be an audiobook All because right. I personally could not agree with you more. But Listen. they have to see they have to be able to put that money in it uh, okay. comfortably. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Well, pick up the book if you don't know what to get someone subscri- uh, go on Amazon, go on Barnes and Nobles, go on uh, Indigo and buy the book and you won't regret it. Thank you very much. Yeah, All right. Have a great uh, December, everyone. We're going to see you again very soon. We've got a couple more episodes before we all take a break together. And uh, yeah, let's let's party, huh? Yeah, indeed. Peace and holy, uh, what is it? Peace and holy matrimony? No. I don't know. I don't remember anything Peace and love? I don't know. (laughs) Listen, you'll always be my bib gourmand. Very nice. Way to not pronounce the D. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Until we eat and, and, and drink again together, this is Ali Hassan. I'm Marco Timpano. And this podcast has been delicious. 